Well, welcome again. How are you doing? Good, uh, good to see you. You know, it's really great to see people on a 70-degree weekend in Seattle. To see this many people, uh, that is awesome. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, that guy who was really funny and was a really good preacher, uh, he's the guest preacher. I'm the real pastor, and so you can uh, decide whether or not you want to uh, come back after this uh, weekend. I was down on spring break with uh, my, I have one daughter in college, one daughter in high school, and we went down to California. We did a, a few different things down there. We, we saw some old friends, used to live in San Diego. We went to the beach, and we started visiting colleges. And so we went and we looked at uh, Point Loma University in San Diego State. And so I turned to my daughter and I said, honey, what do you think? She said, there's no denying the boys are cute in California. And I'm like, that's not what daddy wanted to hear right now. Uh, so uh, I don't know where she'll end up going to school. Uh, at this point, I'm thinking Minnesota. The, uh, so, uh, well, we also did our annual trek down to uh, Disneyland. Uh, by the way, I want to uh, uh, thank uh, the person. There's a person who used to go to the church, Juliana. She lives down there, works for Disneyland, uh, and uh, gives us some free passes every year. Disneyland is great. It's even better when you're not paying for it. And so uh, we were at Disneyland at the hotel we were at. Uh, it offered a shuttle so we didn't have to park in Disneyland. And on the way back, we're taking the shuttle, and uh, all the seats are taken. And I'm standing to this really big guy uh, who looks like, any of you remember the show The Sopranos? Yeah, this guy could have been an enforcer on The Sopranos. And so uh, he's there, and I'm trying to hide, not get involved in a conversation. I have just been at the happiest place on earth and just wanted to live in that moment for a bit. And uh, so he starts talking to me, and he says, hey, so how was Disneyland? I'm like, yeah, it was really fun. So we got in the conversation, and uh, I said, where are you from? And uh, it really wasn't that hard to figure out where he was from. And he goes, well, I'm from the Bronx, but now I live in Vegas. And uh, so he works at one of the casinos in Vegas, and he was telling me about that. And so he had sort of been in that business his whole career. And then he's talking loud. He's a loud guy. Everyone else is tired. Because let me tell you, it's the happiest place on earth when you bring your kids to Disneyland. It's the saddest place on earth at 9 p.m. when you're going back. And they're all crying and whining and, and all of that. Uh, and so, uh, so we're there, and, and everyone's sort of listening. He goes, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. And uh, what do I say? I run a small nonprofit. I work for the creator of the universe. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh. You could tell he had some, uh, some preconceived notions. He goes, oh, so a lot of down and outers, right? And uh, I said, yeah, you, you should look up Sammamish. Uh, the, uh, and so, uh, yeah, we're, uh, so anyway, uh, I, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people who have uh, all, all sorts of issues, but really it's not so much financial issues. People are just looking uh, for, for purpose in life. They're looking for skills and how to have better relationships. They're looking on uh, how to connect with God and really how to have forgiveness, and he goes, oh, so a lot of vice. 
And I'm like, how did he know you guys? <laughs> and <laughs> well, that's where, fortunately, the bus came to the hotel, and that's where that conversation ended. Uh, but uh, this is where our conversation is going to begin. And this is a series that uh, I, I really prayed long and hard about doing. It's one that we, uh, that I think is obviously great to invite a friend to. Didn't advertise it because we're going to talk about some things in this series that I think are going to be crucial uh, for every one of you. Because see, here's what I believe. I believe when you take real biblical faith and you apply it to the real issues, the really where we're living in that a tremendous transformation happens. And uh, so uh, the next couple weeks uh, would be uh, weeks where we're going to talk about some different issues. May not be the best weeks to bring your children into service, but either that or just have an awesome conversation on your way home. Uh, today, what I, I'm going to do might seem like a little bit of a softball pitch, uh, but it really isn't. As we talk about the secret lives of almost everyone, the struggles, and what I mean that, the struggles really that all, pretty much every one of us have, I'm going to talk about our role in other people's struggles. And, uh, and this isn't going to just be a bunch of psychological gobbledygook, gobbledygook or whatever the technical term is for it. Uh, we're going to look at the scripture. We're going to look intently at one account in scripture that my guess, even if you've been around the Bible for a long time, you probably haven't looked at in the older part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And we're also going to look at how that intersects our everyday life. So as, I, as we're looking at this message, uh, the the title is, I Enable Bad Behavior. Now, that's a negative part of it, and uh, we, we can unpack that in a moment. But let's look at the good part. What is the opposite of that? What is uh, the opposite of really bringing life to other people, of doing the right things? Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, uh, he, had, he said this, and this is really in the context of leading and parenting, in a sense. Uh, I, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. You will run and you will not stumble. And it's talking about wisdom and the wisdom that we would impart uh, to, uh, obviously, if you're a parent to children, that we would live in in our everyday life and in our interactions with other people. Well, what happens if we're interacting and uh, we're with people who are struggling, which is almost everyone, but let's say it goes a little bit deeper than that. It could be an issue of uh, abuse, addiction, maybe just entitlement. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, we can go into this mode uh, of enabling. And there's actually an account in the Bible that, that we're going to look at uh, that talks quite a bit about that. Well, what does it mean to enable? Uh, all the definitions that you would find uh, in the various books and on the internet really would sum it to this. It would be to offer the wrong kind of help. It's not that you, it's bad to help. By the way, if you're a Christ follower, you are called to follow Jesus and really serve other people. But you can offer help that's not helpful. And in fact, I could go into it, even part of the modern missionary movement. There's some controversy about that. Some things you can do to help that actually can end up hurting in the long run. You've got to offer the right kind of help. 
Well, uh, you might define it further as anything that stands in the way of a person experiencing the natural consequences of their own behavior. Uh, rescuing your loved ones so they don't experience uh, the consequences of irresponsible decisions. Are any of you would say you've offered the wrong kind of help before? Yeah, I, I think we all have. And we're all, and see, really it comes from good intentions. If you're, if you're a complete narcissist and don't care about other people, this will not apply to you at all. Because <laughs> you really don't care about anyone, helping anyone. But if you're not, then you're, this is going to be your tendency. Your natural tendency that you're going to need to redirect. Henry Cloud, who's one of my favorite authors, in fact, two of the books uh, that I've uh, listed as resources, uh, one of them he wrote, the uh, uh, book Boundaries, it's uh, well known, sold uh, well over a million copies at this point. He tells a story in the book ab about a husband and wife that come to see him. And uh, he's, uh, he's working at a psychiatric hospital, and here's how the conversation goes. I'll, I'll repeat it. Uh, Cloud says, how can I help you? The father says, well, I want you to fix my son. I've had lots of conversations like this, by the way. Cloud recounts, well, where is your son? Because he wasn't there with him. The father says, he didn't want to come today. Cloud says, perhaps he didn't need to. The father said, no, he needed to come. He's got lots of problems. And the father's getting sort of amped up. And, and, and uh, Cloud says, okay, tell me about his problems. The dad says, well, we know he's got a drug problem. We know he's been smoking dope since he was 15. So Cloud asks, how old is he now? He's 23 years old. And uh, he says he flunked out of three colleges. Cloud writes, well, how do you do that? <laughs> and he asks the father, I know how you flunk out of one, but after you flunk out of one, how do you get in the second one? So the father said, well, I'm on the board of trustees at the second college, and so I got him into that. And I was really trying to take care of him. I was worried about noise and partying. And so I bought him a nice condo off campus the second time. I didn't want him to interrupt his studies with work. So we made sure he had plenty of money and he flunked out again. Dr. Cloud said, imagine that. <laughs> All right. So we've got drugs and flunked out of school. What else? Uh, and so Cloud asks, uh, where is he today? And the dad says, well, he didn't want to come. So Dr. Cloud uh, says, well, if I had to find him on a map, where is he today? The father responds, he's in Vail, Colorado? Yeah, what's he doing there? The father said, he's skiing. And then Dr. Cloud said, he thought for a moment, I, I don't think I can help your son. And the father says, why not? Dr. Cloud says, because I'm a psychologist and I help people with problems. And frankly, I agree with your son. I don't think he has any problems. <laughs> the dad says, well, what are you talking about? Dr. Cloud says, well, you know, he's not here. He's skiing. He's got a brand new condo, plenty of money, and he's off on vacation. It doesn't sound like he has any problems to me. He said, well, he's got a drug problem. Dr. Cloud says, no, he doesn't. No, 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 no. You have those problems. And uh, the dad says, I don't have those problems. So Dr. Cloud says this to him. He says, sir, your son is in Vail, Colorado with lots of cash skiing with his friends. And you, my friend, are in a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> Do you know what kinds of people go to psychiatric hospitals? People with problems. See, these are your problems. And then he goes on to write, I can't 
help your son, but since you have lots of problems, I can help you. And let me tell you how I can help you. I can help you to help him have some problems. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, obviously, this will apply uh, not just, well, it'll apply to parents, it'll apply to many different situations. Uh, One of the most common things I see today is confusion, especially of people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ, about how do I help in a way that doesn't hurt. And so as we're interacting uh, with people that we love, and I, and I get calls from people who are talking about a child or a grandchild using drugs, running with wrong friends, rebelling against their parents or God, you name it. And uh, I, I thought, well, how do I know if I'm in this category? And I, I came across this in, uh, uh, from a noted psychologist. It's sort of a self-diagnostic test on when it comes to an enabling. How do I know if I'm that person? And the questions are this. You can rate yourself in your own mind. Do you often ignore an acceptable behavior? Do you find yourself resenting the responsibilities you're taking on? Do you constantly put your own needs and desires aside in order to help someone else? Do you have trouble expressing your own emotions? Do you ever feel fearful that not doing something will cause a blow-up Maybe the person will leave you or even result in violence. Do you ever lie to cover up for someone else's mistakes? Do you consistently assign uh, blame for problems to other people rather than the one who is responsible? Do you continue to offer help when it's never appreciated or acknowledged? If any of these are true, then you might be a parent. I mean an enabler. (laughs) uh, So... uh, The truth is we all would struggle with this on one level or another. So in the Bible, there's a story in the older part of the Bible. We find this. You're going to find it in your notes if you haven't taken them out already. In 1 Samuel, and we find it about a guy named Eli. Now, Eli was a leader of the nation of Israel. It was during a time when the leaders were really more spiritual leaders, but they also had some governmental responsibility. And there was no king, and God would just put his hand on someone for a period of time, and they would be the leader of the nation of Israel. And part of it was leading people towards God. Part of it was simply just judging between uh, everyday uh, disputes and matters. Well, Eli, uh, for the most part, from what we can tell, was a pretty good guy. Uh, He did the right things. But he had two sons, and these two sons uh, were really of a different ilk. And we don't know whether God had led him this way or it was just his own idea, but he had really delegated, in some ways abdicated some of his responsibility to his sons, who he treats like boys, but we know from the account are full-grown adults. And what we find here is a a cautionary tale of sorts. So uh, the first thing we find out about Eli's sons, uh, it says in 1 Samuel 2.12, it says, uh, Eli's sons were scoundrels, for they had no regard for the Lord. So we know there's a problem there, right? And then we're told exactly how these boys uh, were scoundrels. We're uh, we're given these two passages of Scripture. Uh, it, it said, if a person said to him, Eli's son, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want. Now, this is a commodity 
based culture, and so they wouldn't have currency. Uh, they, they would have maybe gold and silver that would sometime be, sometimes be used. But usually, uh, it would be a commodity, and especially in this case, it was a, a sacrifice to God, and there was a certain way this was supposed to happen. Well, uh, people would come with a good heart, and uh, look what would happen. Uh, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. And that's really Eli's sons. They're, so they're stealing from uh, God and God's work. Now, we find out a little bit more about them uh, later on. And it says, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And then uh, let's go on to the next uh, passage. It says, now Eli, who was very old, heard everything his sons were doing uh, to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the temple. Now we find out something else about Eli's sons, right? You know, it sort of gets more salacious all the time. We find out they're stealing. We find out that they're rebelling against God. They're abusing authority, that they're sexually immoral. And so he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear uh, spreading among the Lord's people is not good. And so you'd see that and you would say, hey, time out. Eli, he sees a problem. He's dealing with a problem. And it appears like he is. See, this is why I think this is such a good account in the Bible. Because we really can relate to it. Because he takes a step, but he doesn't really go the whole way. He doesn't move towards resolution in a way that he would need to. And you know what I see in that account? I see myself. Because we'll all say something, but really it's sort of, will we do that? The last 10%. That really brings about resolution. And so what, what, we, what we see in the account, and we, uh, some of it is just what's left out of the account as well, is that this is where Eli left it. Uh, he left his sons in the same positions of power. He didn't do anything to protect the people. And in fact, nothing changed. He said, uh, you know, you, you've, you've been there in the mall with parents like that, haven't you? Where someone will go, the child will be acting up. And we all learn, I learned this, by the way, one of the parenting books, the one, two, three magic. And the parents will go, one. And the kid's going crazy. Ah, you know. And you're like, two. And a half. And three quarters. And, you know, and that's pretty much where Eli is. He, he's saying, man, I gave them a strong warning. But I had all these things I could have done. And he didn't do it. And here's where uh, really we see as, as God speaks to him. We don't know if, exactly how God did it through a dream or through a prophecy, what, what way it happened. Here's really the account uh, that we find. Let's throw up that next verse. God says, why do you honor your sons more than me? And so God, God is saying, you know, 
I know you love your sons, but Eli, this was part of the responsibility that I gave you. And I know this can feel a little heavy uh, here, but I think that God has a way for us to learn and to go a different direction. And I don't care how far down the road you are. I don't care what the situation, whether it's with a spouse who's addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography, you name it, whatever the million addictions can be, whether it's a child who's just heading down that wrong path and we feel like almost helpless to stop it, whether uh, it's an abusive situation and uh, we just have that fear of what do I do next? Well, what do we learn from from Eli? We we see uh, a dangerous pattern. Number one, he was aware of the problem. Uh, we, see, we knew that he was aware of the problem. He saw what was going on. Uh, we don't know how long he was aware of it, uh, but most likely sometime. And then uh, he allowed it to get worse. He allowed it uh, to get worse. Uh, I, I came across this. I thought this was uh, a great example of uh, good parenting. This, I, I saw this text message. I don't, I don't know if you can all see it. Uh, the mom... Don't forget to unload the dishwasher. No answer. Did you finish your homework? No answer. You have to go to your grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. No answer. Dad and I talked and we're going to buy you a car next month. You sure? OMG, thank you. No, we're not. I just wanted to make sure you were getting my text. (laughs) That was cruel. No, that was good parenting. That's what that was. (laughs) So uh, the, the half measures... One of my favorite people, when I I pastored in Kingman, Arizona, if any of you have ever been to Kingman, Arizona, I'm sorry, I spent three years there too, (laughs) and so uh, little little town there, there's a lady in uh, my church, she had had come over from Vietnam, and uh, her daughter was being raised in the U.S., and there are all sorts of, she'd come to Christ as an adult, the mom had, and, and the daughter was going really in a different direction, and the mom felt really out of control in a lot of ways. This lady is one of, the, one of the most godly women I knew. And so she talked to her daughter. Daughter wouldn't listen. She, her daughter was uh, sneaking out at night. And so she would sometimes sit out of her daughter's room at night to make sure she didn't sneak out. So the daughter went out the window. I kid you not, she planted a bunch of cactus underneath the window. Some of you are thinking that's child abuse. I'm thinking that's awesome. That's what I'm thinking. And she, she, what she did is she said, I'm going to do everything I can to help my child go a different direction. Uh, and then we see number three, he took solace in half measures. And this will often happen. And it, when we enable, it's usually not that we're completely apathetic and we don't do anything. It's a half measure and not a full measure. And you look at most successful parenting programs, Love and Logic, uh, financial recovery programs, Financial Peace University, uh, Recovery from Addiction, Celebrate Recovery, and all of those. Uh, They all have to do with breaking what's natural to us. And that's at some point we choose the path of least resistance. And uh, why? Because it's easier, but it also can be harmful. And then we see uh, number four is that uh, he was surprised at the eventual outcome. 
Now, we have to go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and uh, what happened is, uh, God said, you know, I have my hand of protection in a special way on you and your family. The nation of Israel, not unlike today, was surrounded by a bunch of people completely committed to their destruction, and there's no way they should have even existed, but God had this special uh, protection on them. And one time his sons go out into battle, nothing had changed, same position and, and, uh, that they had already been in. And God said, hey, they want to do it on their own. I'm going to let them go their own way. And they lose their lives in the battle. And then we see this. And with the, he ended up, Eli ended up as collateral damage. Uh, now, Eli, uh, we read that he had heard the account of the death uh, of his sons, and he's broken up over that, as you would uh, imagine. And he also hears that the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. And by the way, if you get your theology of the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones, <laughs> you're going to be a little messed up here. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant really, uh, to put it in simple language, it was the box in which the Ten Commandments were carried around. It was a sign that God was with the nation of Israel. He was giving them uh, uh, principles and rules to live by. But see, the, the real significance in the Ark of the Covenant is uh, the, sort of the lid of the box, to put it in a crude way, uh, would be used as the mercy seat. And in that, in, in, uh, in that we find that later on, uh, that it would be used as a mercy seat uh, when they finally established uh, the temple. And, and I think when that was taken, in some way, Eli, he was just, uh, he was just undone. And he said, I've lost my sons. I get the sense that God is no longer with me. And uh, there's sort of an odd account. It says he, was, he fell backward on a chair and, uh, and broke his neck. And you're like, wow, this is a great story. And it, I said it was a cautionary tale. And in that, I think we find something we all would say, I don't want to go that way. I'm focusing on Eli because I know so many people who end up as collateral damage. I've talked to more than a few people who have been in relationship, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling, and they're struggling with uh, whether it's a, a adultery or gambling issue or whatever. It could be a myriad. It could just be, like I said, simple entitlement. And then the person will go their own way usually. Usually there's, they, they may not suffer the consequences. But you end up as a collateral damage. And you're the parent, and you're saying, well, okay, yeah, they had fun, but I'm still making the payment on their student loans for them. And you're saying, wow, you know, my, my retirement is now in question. Or uh, in a marriage relationship, it can even go much, much worse. So, so, so that's what not to do. And how do I, how do I go a different direction? I think it really has to do with some courageous choices that we can make uh, in our own lives. Uh, and there are four, there's probably more than this, but there are four that I think you would want to hold on to. Say, hey, I don't want to be that person. 
not uh, for the other person because that's the helping is actually probably hurting, but also in my own life. Uh, the, the first step of this is to acknowledge the open secret. Because the truth is, if you look at every family, in fact, about five years ago, I did a series called The Elephant in the Room. And we all know usually what the problem is. Rarely, unless we're completely out there. Do, you know, and the cool thing is when we know what the problem is, we're on our way to solution. In the scripture, it, it says this about our, the own barrier between us and God. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, the, the great news there is I can be completely forgiven. But if there's no problem, there's no solution. And if we don't acknowledge the real problem, see, oftentimes I've seen this in marriage counseling a lot, where it's like, well, you know, the problem is uh, with the spending habit. And really it's something much deeper than that. Uh, It reminded me when I was in Santa Barbara uh, one of the places after I was pastor in Kingman, Arizona, God thought I deserved a good vacation, so I pastored in Santa Barbara. And uh, Santa Barbara is one of those places uh, where there's plants from all over the world. Absolutely beautiful uh, place. And it's where I first discovered that I had allergies. And I didn't, uh, I'd never had that. To be honest with you, and I don't want to be insensitive to those who have allergies, although I know I have them now. I always thought that people who said they had allergies were hypochondriacs. And I didn't think allergies were real. So no, I didn't think allergies were real. I thought there is no such thing as allergies. And I got these allergies and my head just started pounding and and like literally, it was like all the time. And I go to my wife and I'm like, honey, I love you. I'm pretty sure I have a brain tumor. And I'm going to die. I literally, I was convinced I had a brain tumor. I had a few weeks to live. Because believe me, there are no such thing as allergies. And so I go to the doctor. And uh, I said, doctor, here's the deal. I have this pain. I'm worried about it. He says, oh, no, you have allergies. I said, I can't have allergies. There's no such thing as allergies. And he's like, yeah, no, you really have allergies. Just take this little uh, pill and you'll be better because I'm like how you know I'm, I'm going into him and I'm like how long do I have doctor and he goes 50 years <laughs> I'm like well will it be painful and he's like well it depends on what you do with bacon and how you treat your wife <laughs> and, uh, you know so that <laughs> but uh, I mean because I really thought that was it but you know uh, what was the great part about that is it wasn't what I thought But once I could identify the problem, I was able to live my life. I was able to deal with it and move on. You might say, well, how can you say that? Let's use, uh, we we talk about addictive behavior. You say, well, what about alcoholism? That would be hard. It is hard. And tens of millions of people have, have gone through life sober and free. Tens of millions in our country alone. And you can do it because I know it's not a million, it's not two million. So many people have done it. Now, your choice will be whether or not you do it. 
but it absolutely is doable. And I don't know what your, the list of things you can be working through. You say, well, you don't know. I have a, a child that I just can't control. That is true of all but four parents. You know, and I'm sure they live somewhere in the middle of Alaska or something like that, you know. But it doesn't mean it'll be easy. But it does mean when we have the open secret come out into the open, that things can get better. And, and well, well, why don't we do that? Uh, why don't we do that? This has to do with the second courageous choice, is don't let fear make your decisions. When it comes to confronting a behavior in yourself or someone else, do you know where we stop most of the time? Fear-based decisions. I, I have, what will other people think? <clears throat> the answer to that one is not much, because <laughs> people are usually thinking about themselves. And... Uh, are you going to let that determine the joy you have in your life? Would you rather pretend to have a happy life or have a happy life? Truly, some of you are making that decision. And don't wait 30 years. Will, there's also, uh, as you think about it, is what will people say or do? It says in Proverbs 29, 25, uh, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so, uh, you know, let's, let's take it on the lighter side now because we're talking about some intense issues. It, it, it starts like this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. This is, I'm not saying this has happened to me because I don't want to out any of my children with this, but the, uh, they come to you and they haven't done their homework or they haven't written the paper. And what's the tendency? Well, what will people think if my child fails? Well, if, they, if, they, if they get a bad grade on this paper, they could get a bad grade in the class. And then it could affect the rest of their academic career. They might not get in another good class. They may become a pattern of failure. The the teachers might just view them as a failure and they will get bad grades. They will get such bad grades they will never get into college and they'll never have a meaningful career. They're never gonna find a spouse. They're gonna end up homeless on the street using drugs. They're probably gonna become a criminal and because I don't want them to become a criminal, I'm gonna write this paper for them. <laughs> and we, we have this fear. Now, I've, Obviously, the fear could be, what if, what if I talk to them and they leave me? And they might. I wish I could say and promise that that won't happen. But there's a very predictable pattern. And it's the pattern. The pat Eli, by the way, that's a pattern we see in the Bible. But we see it in everyday life. You can go to a, a, a psychologist who's a committed atheist and they'll say, oh yeah, that's the pattern I recognize. But you know what else? God just might show up in a powerful way. And if there's their way to approach with grace, 
By the way, if you're the type of people, person who likes to just call people out on things, you're not an enabler. <laughs> you're, you're someone who, that's confrontational and that's great, but you're probably not the call, called to be the person who does confront. I'm talking about those of us who would rather not have the conflict, who would rather not have the fight. You say, what if they blame me? They probably will but it could be the path to wholeness. See, part of it is admitting where your helping is hurt. Uh, see, you don't own someone else's behavior, but you own your own behavior uh, in the process. Uh, the best kind of situation is where we have a problem, whether it's a sin or an addiction or just a situation, and we can invite God into our mess and see what he can do. The Bible says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this really leads to the fourth courageous choice is to believe that God can make a difference. I, I am honestly uh, working, I, I'm, I write these stories down, stories of where I've seen God show up in places where I never believed he could because people have invited Jesus Christ uh, into their life. Uh, Jesus, as he's talking uh, about a situation, uh, about who can be saved, and he's talking about people who would put money before God and, and all of that, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's my message today, is that with God, all things are possible. And maybe, especially in the next couple of weeks as we're uh, trading into some deep waters, is you'd say the first thing I will do is invite God. And that's a situation, that's really a decision that every one of us has to make individually. When I was in San Diego, I was visiting a church, uh, a great church different uh, uh, from Timberlake in some ways, uh, you know, same sort of uh, impulse of biblical faithfulness and inviting people to trust Jesus in another way. Uh, at the end of the service, what they do, well, we'll often invite people, if you want to make a decision to follow Christ, to publicly acknowledge the Bible talks about that. We'll just have you look up. This is one of those churches where they have people stand up and come forward. So we're there in this auditorium, big auditorium, and uh, the pastor is asking people, hey, do, do they want to go a different direction? And, and, and the message was very, very interesting. He said, maybe you've made a decision to accept Jesus Christ, but you're not following him, and your life really wouldn't be a great indicator of that. But you're willing to say, I'm going to put it all on the line, and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. So, so we're there, and uh, everyone's eyes are closed, but I'm peeking because that's what I do. And, uh, <laughs> you don't do that, but I was doing that. This, uh, and so, uh, guy, sort of a hipster couple, few rows down, and uh, guy stands up, and he's like, okay, I'm going up. And uh, I see this interaction that's going on. The the wife or girlfriend looked like, probably more like a girlfriend. She sees him stand up, and she grabs him and starts pulling him down and says, no, you don't. And I'm like, it's just like the Garden of Eden. 
No, the, uh, <laughs> that's horrible. Uh, t- true story. Uh, in the, and he's like, no, I won't. And she's like, no. And he sits back down. And I don't know what's happening in his life spiritually. It's not about coming forward. It's about turning your heart. I don't know if that was just a symbol that wouldn't be followed through or whether he was saying, I guess I'm not going to. And the truth is that we're, we're going to be in a relationship with people we love who are going to propel us towards faith and hope and wholeness in Jesus or maybe at some point they'll want to hold you back, but you say, no, I'm going for it. And I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to love God more than you. You know, we, we, we talked about uh, enabling today. And there's something else that the Bible talks about, and that's helping. See, as Christ followers, if you're a follower of Christ, we're called not to enable bad behavior, but when someone is trying to go in the right direction, to say, we're on board with you. Many of you know that about uh, a year and a half ago, uh, I believe it was about a year and a half ago now, uh, we took over a role as parent organization for Acres of Diamonds, which means we give logistical and financial support. Most of their volunteers are coming through Timberlake at this point, or, and uh, so We've had a, a, an amazing role in that. And it's a, an organization that helps people sometimes just they're homeless, sometimes they're caught in addiction, come out of that and not only make a decision for health and wholeness in life, but to follow Jesus uh, along the way. And so I thought it would be appropriate as we're talking about the wrong kind of help to look at the right kind of help. I want you to uh, take a look at this. <laughs> 